God for us being here this afternoon, um, both in person and if there's anybody there watching online, I'm grateful to God for bringing us even to this day as well and this first Sunday of Advent. Um, <clears throat> as we come to this season, We're looking at, um, we're considering an arrival or something that's approaching us, especially one which is expected or awaited. I don't know what you're expecting this, in this season. I guess there's people looking forward to and expecting, right, I don't know what I'm going to get for Christmas, a present, or, um, you know... Whatever else it is you're expecting at this season, friends, family, people getting together. But again, as we come to this season, um, which we're, we're, we're actually considering and looking at the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. While it was awaited back then in his day, and even now, as we await the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, on a day when, as we are talking out in the, in the street yesterday, a day when um, there's a coming judgment. And then there's also, I mean, as we consider this as well, a call for us to carefully discern or examine what it is we're expecting, what we're awaiting. And... Um, so we're looking at the Lord's coming over this season, and we have, you know, this time to look at this, and we're looking at this from several perspectives, um, beginning with Nazareth today. So let's turn in our, in our, in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. It's a very popular passage, I believe. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read first, uh, and then we'll come back and have a look at this carefully. Isaiah chapter 9, from verse 1. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm, I, I've, I've got a different version here. I don't know why I told you guys. NLT? Okay. No problem. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time Oh, what did you change it to now? <laughs> New King James. NLT. Okay. No problem. We, we, can, we, can, we can switch. Okay. Nevertheless. Thank you. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. 
the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will, engage, you will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, unlike warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. And verse 6. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. His government and his peace will never end. His rule, sorry, he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, even for speaking this kind of word to us, this manner of um, uh, prophecy. Even in a time when your people, the people who are called by your name, were suffering oppression, were faced with the with um, the, 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 the judgment even of being punished, taken away into captivity, finding themselves estranged from their land and, and taken far away from home. But yet, Lord, at the same time, even though you speak of judgment, you speak of mercy. You speak of compassion. You speak about salvation, even in the same breath. Lord, as we uh, come to this season, even of great expectations, <laughs> albeit seasonal and for various reasons, Lord, I pray that today we are reminded and remember that you indeed have come for those, even though you bring hardship, you bring difficulty, you bring time such as we see and experience in this world. Lord, at the same time, you come for those who even live in rebellion against you. Lord, I pray that um, you give me the word to speak. I pray indeed for clarity. I pray, Lord God, even for faithfulness to your word. And that indeed, as we walk through this, Lord, we will see your kindness, your mercy, your compassion 
even in the face of judgment. Lord, thank you for this, even as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we come to this um, time uh, of Advent, even, as I said in the introduction, just looking forward to a season of expectation where the Lord um, speaks his word and we come even, to, even, to, even, to, even in this season to, uh, as, as we commonly have it here, even amongst us, this Christmas season, with great expectations. I mean, I don't know what um, any among us, as is customary, maybe you're used to receiving or receiving gifts, receiving presents. I don't know what you're looking forward to, even in this time of the year. But at the same time, on a more um, serious note, and coming back to God's word, we find ourselves, or we, we've, we, we've determined to consider this season of Advent, not from the usual uh, perspectives of, okay, the lamb in the, 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 the child born in the manger and the shepherds, but looking at the Advent from different perspectives of the lands itself, the lands and the places where the Lord indeed has arrived from or where he's come into, and what the expectation of the people, even in his day, were, and whether those were actually in keeping with what people expected at that time. So, um, as we come to this passage, um, I'm going to just take us, walk us through Isaiah chapter 9, and consider it uh, carefully and see how did this play out? Was this according to the expectations of the people of Jesus' day? And, or even in the day when this was spoken, how did this play out for those who heard this word? How did this play out in the lives of those in whose day the word itself was fulfilled? And how does this play out for us even now with regard to the coming of the Lord? So let's look and just walk through Isaiah chapter 9. I'm just going to start from verse 1. And take us through. Nevertheless, he says, Isaiah says, there will be um, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The context immediately here is one where um, Isaiah is speaking to the a king of Israel, of Judah, the king of the south of the southern kingdom of Israel. At this time, um, maybe. All of us, I know first time I heard about the kingdom of Israel, I thought of it as just one united kingdom, the whole of its existence. But at this time, um, Israel was indeed a divided nation, uh, all because the people of God, especially uh, this, in, in this context, particularly in relation to um, King Solomon, he had led the people of Israel, led the entire tribe and the nation, even into the worship of various and many kinds of gods, and turned them away from worshiping God. And the kingdom, God determined, 
rather than leave this in the hands of Solomon, um, appointed one of his servants, Jeroboam, gave him 10 tribes to govern, and this guy, Jeroboam as well, became the king of, the first king of the northern kingdom, Israel. So that there were 12 tribes of Israel, two, um, Judah and Benjamin formed the southern tribe. God preserved this as a nation just to keep his promise to David, a king of Israel, that, he would, that his house would always rule and gave Jeroboam the northern kingdom to rule of 10 tribes. But by then, by this time again, even Jeroboam, as the first king of Israel, finds himself actually, rather than leading the people to God, to focus on God, to stay in tune with God and keep in touch with him, they, he himself is working to preserve his rule and elongate it rather than um, put, keep his trust in God who had given him these 10 tribes to rule. So, um, what we have here is a situation where the nation is divided. Both the southern king, the northern king, none of these guys are actually honoring God. None of these guys are actually leading the people of God to focus on God, to serve God, to worship God. Solomon had so many wives, each of them having different gods, and he led the people even to worship differently from the way God had prescribed. Likewise, the northern kings as well. And here, Isaiah is warning the king, the, the, the southern king, the king of um, Judah, about a time where the people, of, um, the people of Israel will find themselves cast out and turned away from God. Let's, let me just... Um, refer us to the preceding text in Isaiah chapter 8, just to give a picture of what's really going on here. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse, from verse 19 to 22, Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz, the king of the southern kingdom, king of Judah, and really throwing him a, challenge, throwing him a question and talking about um, relaying the message of God to him. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who worship and mutter. Again, this is in reference to the people of, of, uh, of Israel. Seeking gods that are not gods. Seeking the dead, seeking mediums and spiritists, just like um, one of their kings had done, like Saul, when he called for a witch at Endor to consult and call Samuel up for him. He says, when they say these things to you, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? And then he makes a charge to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because, it is because there is no light in them. And he consigns the people in a word, in a prophetic word. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry, 
that they will be enraged and curse the king out of distress, out of hardship, out of a difficult and dark time when the people find themselves thrown out, expelled from their land. God is speaking here through Isaiah, giving warning to the people of the northern kingdom that, look, this, this, this is what you face when you seek other than God, when you rely on your own strength, when you rely on allies that God has not asked you to rely on for your prosperity, for your well-being. Then they will look, verse 22, to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. All because rather than look to the one who has brought these people into existence, brought this nation into existence, in looking to, to those who are not gods for their salvation. But then, here is the comfort. Nevertheless, our text in verse 1, there will, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun. I, I'm reading uh, the New King James Version. <laughs> I know I switched. <laughs> Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. It will not go on forever. You know, it's easy to just see um, God as one who, when he meets out punishment, I think I had, this, I had this conversation yesterday. I mean, you're wondering how, why was that conversation so long with um, that gentleman? And he asked a question like, so... Um, are you saying that if we're sinful people, then we're just going to go to hell? We're going to get punished. And that's it. That's the end. You know, there's no hope for us. I'm like, dude, that's why we're out here. We're actually out here preaching a message of peace. Actually out here dishing out a warning and making a call from God for people, for you to come back to him in repentance so that God likewise here, or rather what we're doing out here, just like we were watching earlier on, is doing what God's already been doing, preaching a message of peace, preaching that a time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. And in particular, coming back to this land of Zebulon and Naphtali, going back to our verse 1, they will be humbled. Yes, he's spoken about the, 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 the suffering which they will experience. And just to put some light on this, the, 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 northern, the northern kingdom of Israel found themselves um, the first to actually experience being taken captive, being expelled from their lands. So... Um, Pardon me, I beg your, your, I beg your pardon for this because it, it would really, it would really, really have helped if I put up a map just showing, okay, here's where we're talking about. Just imagine Scotland, Edinburgh, the northern parts of, this United, of these United Kingdoms. Imagine that was the northern parts of, is of, the, of, of the country. And Zebulon, Naphtali, those are regions 
Those are um, tribes that find themselves in the northern part of, of Israel. And those guys, um, in the days of one of their kings, Pekah, a king of Israel, uh, there's reference to this in 2 Kings chapter 15 and verse 29. Um, a king, his name is long to pronounce, Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured several towns from the northern part of Israel, from Zebulun, from Naphtali, among those tribes in Galilee. And these were the first people to experience the suffering of being taken into captivity. I mean, controversial subject nowadays. We hear about the, you know, the, the IDF going into Gaza and blowing up the place and taking lands and, you know, Hamas thinking, oh gosh, they're going to, they're really going to just displace us completely. We're going to be totally wiped out. But as you, in our day, see those videos, I don't know if you watched those things, you see lands just devastated, taken completely, and wonder what's going to happen to the people there. These guys are suffering similar fates at that time. Suffering similar experiences, and the lands were captured, taken, and these are people in the lands of, uh, among the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and they're people of Galilee. But, and that's a signal of hope in verse 1, but there will be a time in the future, there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Even though they're experiencing suffering, even though they're experiencing captivity, even though they're experiencing being pillaged and attacked, their lands taken. Thank you. <laughs> their lands taken. <laughs> even though they're experiencing their lands taken, they find there is hope. There is hope spoken of for them in Isaiah. And um, we see this. We'll, we'll, see, we'll talk a, little, a bit more about this as we come to um, talk about the advent of the king and the kingdom. Um, now, these two tribes, you know, are really, really humbled in this, in this experience. But then, going on to... Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Remember, I've described the darkness in which they walk. They've chosen to follow other gods. They've chosen not to uh, honor God in worshiping him. They just worship idols and, and those which are not gods. But the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Now, let me make a switch to the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 4, if, if I can invite you to, to come with me, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16, we see and read here these same verses, or this same verse, this same reference, 
And Matthew's referring to it. But he's referring to it in a context because, um, and he's referring to it with reference to Jesus Christ. I'll go back to verse 12. Jesus hears that, Jesus hears that John has been arrested. I'm sorry, I'm tasking you hard, eh? <laughs> I imagine I'm tasking everybody else hard as well. But Jesus hears that John has been arrested. And in this passage, in this section of Scripture, is where actually Jesus spends a considerable time of his ministry, about two years in Galilee. Um, it's popularly and commonly said that the entire time of Jesus' ministry was about three years. He began ministry when he was about 30. He spent just two, two of those years, considerable amount of time in Galilee, in the same regions that we just read of, that first began to experience and suffer the um, judgment of God as part of the old nation of Israel, where all their kings had failed. The kings of Judah had failed, the kings of Israel had failed, and then they began to suffer at the hands of their enemies or the hands of other nations. But here now, the people who walk in darkness see a great light. And Matthew refers to this um, here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Because as we read from verse 12, when he heard that John had been arrested, this is Jesus is referring to, he withdrew into Galilee, same region, same area, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, another, these two couple of towns in the same region of Galilee, by the sea. Um, and in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, by the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So we see that the people who dwelled in darkness because they walked away, after, uh, uh, away from God now have the Son of God coming to them, coming to them who had walked away from God. Now, um, we see further that in this, um, Matthew refers to the Lord from that time beginning to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was the people's response or the people's regard for, um, the, for this region, for these people of Galilee? What did they think about uh, the people of Galilee? Did they think 
these people were of any significance. They think these people were, were of any importance at all. And um, there's a few accounts in Scripture that would help us to see um, the attitude or the expectation. What did the people think and what, what did they expect in terms of the Messiah? Was he one that um, they expected to come even from this region, even from uh, Zebulon, from Naphtali, from Galilee? Um, I want us to refer to a few passages here that would just help us to see these attitudes. Um, one second. So let's go first to John chapter 7 and verse 41. John chapter 7 and verse 41. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. It, makes, it, it kind of leaves you, when you look at this, you see the division amongst the people. This is um, amongst the, the, the leaders, uh, the, uh, in, in the, the spiritual leaders in, in Jerusalem at this time. They're asking, um, Jesus, Jesus, whilst Jesus is ministering, they're asking questions. The people are wondering, where is this, who is this guy we're expecting a Messiah, but not one from Galilee. And um, the attitude is further expanded as we go on in, the, in, this, in this passage from verse 45. These were officers who had obviously gone, to, uh, from, gone out from the chief priests to see Jesus ministering. And when they come back, Responding, the Pharisees answered them in verse 47. Have you also been deceived? Because these guys are, are, are presenting, are coming back to report to, to say, no one's ever spoken like this guy. Did you arrest him? Why did you bring him back? There's a guy we sent you out to go and check out and bring back to us. But um, they asked the question, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? And they despise the crowd who believe in Jesus and go on to uh, cast aspersions. But then one stands up asking that these guys, okay, hear a man out before you even think about charging him. And the question they throw out to Nicodemus asking, are you from Galilee too? Verse 52 of, that, of our text. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They weren't expecting 
the Messiah to come from this region. But yet, we just, we've just seen our text and read of God speaking and talking about the people of Galilee seeing a great light. How do, I mean, if, if these guys had taken some care to actually check out who this Messiah is or check out who Jesus is, they would have found, they would have in fact found that this was one who was um, from Bethlehem, even though his parents lived in Nazareth in Galilee, they would have found that this was one who was from Bethlehem and who was born a descendant of David as they were expecting. But just that the people in Galilee had seen and got to taste the um, first lights of this salvation and this um, uh, redemption which the Lord is bringing to his people. So, again, just emphasizing the point that the Lord has come even to look for those who live in rebellion. So here's the people who are rebelling, refusing to receive the Messiah, but yet he brings his word and the message of the kingdom to these same people. Um, carrying on with our text, in verse 3, we read that... Uh, the Lord has multiplied the nation and increased its joy. He will enlarge the nation of Israel, and his people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. Um, once again, the Lord confirms his covenant with Abraham to multiply his physical descendants like the sands of the seashore. Um, God spoke about multiplying the nation of his people through his covenant to Abraham. Um, let me refer to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 7, just to shed a bit of light on this, only briefly. In Genesis 22 and verse 7, God Isaac spoke to Abraham. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And at this point, um, you, if you recall this, Abraham gladly and willingly offered up his son Isaac, and on account of his faith and trust in um, God to be able to, indeed, if he offered up his son Isaac, if he offered up his son um, he, he put his trust in the fact that God was able indeed to um, give him yet another and he would receive his son back. 
And indeed, God made a promise to Abraham even after this test, saying to him, um, in blessing, I beg your pardon, I'm reading verse 17. In blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. So God indeed is fulfilling his promise to Abraham here again in this and, and reaffirming that here. And the question that um, this raises for us as well, even as we're talking about this prophecy in Isaiah, um, God's talking about not only the people of Israel here, even though he's speaking to a divided nation um, and talking about multiplying that nation and increasing this joy, um, he, we will see that this indeed has a dual purpose in God speaking these things, not just to Israel, but also to us in this day. Um, and it goes on further to talk about breaking the yoke of slavery in verse 4 of our text, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 4. Because eventually, even though, as I've mentioned a few times already, this people find themselves taken captive by uh, nations around them and going into captivity, displaced from their land. Uh, God speaks about, again, freeing them from such bondage freeing them from being oppressed. Um, what the picture that comes to mind again just now is that of, again, another of these controversial hotspots that are currently experiencing war, experiencing occupation. Russia is in Ukraine at the moment. They've taken part of their country. And just imagine looking for a day when those people will find themselves free from being occupied by Russians. I mean, recent, another recent example, um, we find the people of Afghanistan talking about being free from the United States force or allied forces occupying their land and ruling them. God's talking here about these people being free of oppression, being free from the yoke of slavery. Uh, and he will lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. They actually historically experienced all of these things, uh, being oppressed by neighboring countries, neighboring kings, neighboring powers. And um, he goes on to elaborate on that and talk about, you know, there being no need for accessories of warfare. I mean, you see mentioned in verse 5 of the boots of the warrior, Uniforms bloodstained by war, they'll all be burned. They'll just be fuel for the fire. So, again, speaking of an end of wars, of an end of strife, of an end of conflicts, of an end of oppression. Now, um, how are these things going to be accomplished? Here's where the dual nature of this prophecy comes into play from verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, 
and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Earlier on, Isaiah, in speaking to and responding to the current situation where a king of Judah finds himself on the verge of being run over, the southern kingdom this time, by uh, the king of Israel and the king of Assyria. They find themselves just about to be run over, and um, God sends Isaiah to speak to him that, look, you're seeing these kings who are about to invade your country right now, but it won't happen. It's not going to come to pass. Don't take into account what everybody calls uh, conspiracies. These guys may be ganging up together against you, but don't watch that. It's not going to happen. And he challenges Isaiah, look, ask me for a sign, any sign. Make it as difficult as possible, and I'll bring it to come to pass. And um, you know what God actually does? <laughs> he tells Isaiah, you know what, guy, take a scroll. Get a, get, a, get, a, get a piece of parchment or whatever you guys write on. And in, verse, in chapter 8 and from verse 1, you see where God lays the challenge down, basically throwing down the gauntlet and telling him, write down this name. And he gives him a name to write. It gives him something to write, rather, and then tells him, look, a young woman will conceive and bear a son. Now, before that boy, let me paraphrase, before that boy is able to tell his left from his right or eat um, yogurts, for want of a better phrase, <laughs> Because, because that's what it is, essentially. <laughs> Before the boy is able to eat the curds, uh, where is it in verse? <laughs> Before he's able to eat these foods, these kings you're looking at, they'll be gone. They won't exist anymore. And Isaiah's like, man, this is, this, is, this is a tall order. But just to prove it, and... Um, and, and it goes on, it goes on, in, in, this, in this case, what, it, what actually happens, Isaiah has, Isaiah has a bride to be married, and he actually goes on to, between him and his wife to have a child, and they conceive, and before the boy is old enough, this impending attack is gone and is over. That's fulfilled in their time for the impending battle, you know? Um, one, one, common, one common, common passage you hear cited often, you know, where, where people say, oh, I, me and the children the Lord has given me, they are for signs and wonders. Isaiah is actually citing that and stating that concerning himself and, and the children born to him being for signs and wonders for the people of his, for the people of Judah at that time, to whom God sent him as uh, as a prophet. But here again, we see that fulfilled. 
There's a dual nature to this prophecy. And um, the term, I mean, this talk, talking about a child being born, it elaborates on, the, on Emmanuel. That was the name of the child born to Isaiah. But also, um, the virgin's child will also be the royal son of David with rights to the throne of David. And we find this when we turn and look again in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. We find this fulfilled there. Um, here is Gabriel, an angel, sent to um, Joseph, the husband-to-be of Mary, who at the time lived in Nazareth, again, telling him, dude, your bride is, or your bride-to-be is conceived, and she will bear a child. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this, verse 22, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I just said it was fulfilled in Isaiah's day. Yes, it was. But here again, Matthew's telling us this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. What's God doing here? Let me make that point yet again. These are a people, when we think about God and his judgment, when we think about God and exercising judgment, and I've, I personally have learned from this, it's easy to just consign God's judgment to one that is rigid and fixed and there's no backing out. Once God consigns, dishes out the, the, the judgment, that's it. He's locking the door, throwing the key away and never giving opportunity for grace, mercy, peace, repentance, but here he is, extending grace even to one, talking about the people of Israel, talking about the people of Judah, talking about Abraham's descendants. Here again, establishing the reign and uh, the, the, the dominion, the majesty, the rule of the house of David in keeping with his promise to establish his kingdom forever. And he makes this known to Joseph here uh, through the angel Gabriel. A child is born to the virgin, but also a son is given. A child is born, naturally speaking, but a son is also given from God. 
Because remember, this child was conceived of the Holy Spirit, a son given by God to Joseph or to us. So, and fulfilling again the government being upon his shoulder in fulfillment of um, Isaiah chapter 9. And then he will be wonderful counselor. Coming back to um, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Just at the start of this, I, I, I spent a bit of time um, rambling about the kingdoms, about the southern kingdom, about the kings of Judah, and about the kings of Israel, but how indeed none of them, none of them, None of them lived up to God's billing. None of them lived up to God's expectation. You know, in, in preparing for this, there's a phrase I would challenge you to have a look at. Did evil in the sight of God. Did you hear that? Did evil in the sight of God. If you've got a, if you've got a Bible study app, if you've got a mobile app, just, just look for it. You find so many references to each and every one of the kings of Judah, of Israel. These guys just did evil in the sight of God. And what ends up happening? Their reigns cut short. They're either assassinated or their neighbors come and take over their land, run through, taken into exile eventually. Both nations, the southern Judah, the northern Israel, all taken away. And you'd be like, oh, I don't know what you feel. I don't know where you're from, whichever country you're from, even if it's the UK or the United States. <laughs> those, those are supposed to be among the G whatever. Is it G7? It's supposed to be among the... I don't know what G stands for. Is it great? <laughs> global. Global, all right. Industrialized nations of the world. And they're supposed to be like, we're kind of up there amongst the top industrialized nations of the world. But I tell you the truth. You probably get fed, of it, fed up of them. I mean, I know the latest gripe here is about the, you name it. <laughs> I was looking for one thing to say, be probably not happy about. You just name it. There's plenty. And, but here, we're talking about a rule, talking about nations where they, they, the kings just ended up out of the way completely. Their reign never endured, never ended, never, never continued. But here is the Lord talking about on the throne of David. of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And question, just as I conclude, 
It says, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, uh, even forever. We already see the Lord has come and walked among the people who would not receive him, who would not, who would think this guy is from this obscure little town in Galilee. This guy is from this place where indeed we're not even expecting a king or a prophet. Whereas all the attempts before him coming have never endured, have never remained. Why? As in, why do this? Why bring this Lord even in this way, in this obscure, seemingly insignificant manner into the place where the people rebelled? The passage says that the... Let's go back to the um, New Living Translation, verse 7. I put my notes away before reading it. The passionate commitment, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. What does this mean for us? You know, we may be used to, um, even in the church, we may be used to um, expecting and seeing God do things in a particular way with great power, with might and authority. We may be used to seeing um, churches that, you know, have it all together are great. They've got some powerful feature about them. Maybe they rely on, maybe like these people relied on their allies. They, allied, they relied on their, on their um, strength, military might. They relied on those things that were not even God's. I, don't, I, I, I mean, I pray that our reliance even on God, just seeing the ministry that took place yesterday. There may not be anything great or significant about it. I pray that, indeed, our reliance is on God. Even as we have people come, come among us in fellowship, even as we seek for um, God to be glorified here, we may be tempted to rely on our own strength, on our, on our own ability, rather than the Lord. That um, baby born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, the child born, the son given to us. But you know what God does? In his compassion, in his passionate commitment, he goes to the place where there is no expectation of much. There is no expectation of even a people who are willing to walk with God. He goes there still, makes his dwelling among them, makes his dwelling among us that he would establish his government, that he would establish his reign 
that he would establish his peace forever. Uh, I don't want to steal the thunder from those who are continuing in this series after me, but by the time we get to conclude this, and pardon me if I'm leaving you in, in a bit of a cliffhanger, but by the time we conclude this, we will see where this king places his rule, where this king places his government, where the Lord in his compassion indeed seeks to come and make his dwelling with us. So starting with Nazareth today, least place you would expect the Messiah to show up, despised among the people, a place where God has even forgotten, forsaken, let go and suffer in captivity. He chooses to go there, even among those who are rebellious, to make his kingdom known and establish his reign. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your coming. Thank you for your coming to be among us. Though we have read today even of things that you fulfilled, both in the old time of Judah and even in the day of the Lord, coming amongst the people of a forgotten and obscure tribe. Lord, I pray that even in our midst, in our day, amongst us, Lord, you make your coming, um, although it may seem insignificant, although it may come from sources that we do not have much of regard for, we may have those who we don't hold highly speaking to us about your salvation. Lord, help us to receive this, even as coming from you. Your grace, your mercy, expressed and shown to those who would rebel against you. Lord, help us receive you, even as we await your coming in our day even your second coming, your return back to us again. And we pray that we be prepared and ready to receive you as you come. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.